This is Pitch Black, the podcast, part of PitchBlackNews.com. My name is Kyle Mankey, still flying solo as Aaron Marvel is uh, still on hiatus this week. Um, lots of good things to talk about, though. San Antonio FC, of course, got three very important points on the road in the toughest place to play in USL West uh, by far. <laughs> so that's great news. And of course, we have two games to preview coming up this week as San Antonio FC heads west to Southern California to play Los Angeles Galaxy Dose <laughs> and uh, Orange County Soccer Club. Keep wanting to say Orange County Blues. That was uh, the team previously uh, occupying Orange County that has rebranded under new ownership and uh, after coming into the LAFC fold there. So lots of good things to talk about with San Antonio FC. And of course, we've got some news around the country with NASL, with potential USL expansion. A lot of good things to talk about this week. So let's get right to it. It's really nice to be able to see goals being scored at the very end of a match and it benefiting San Antonio. We haven't seen that a whole lot and we've seen a lot of the opposite. So very exciting result from Salt Lake City. In case you missed it, San Antonio came away with a 2-1 victory over the first place team in the West, Real Monarchs Salt Lake City, off of two goals that came in the 88th minute and the 93rd minute. So it does not get any uh, more last minute than that, but they pulled it off. And I honestly think that going into this, it would have been a positive just to get a point on the road against this team because Salt Lake City is an extremely difficult place to play. Not only do they play very well at home, but you know it, it's an intimidating stadium, just the size of it and being a little altitude and everything else. So there were a lot of things going against San Antonio FC. Let's back it up a little bit here. We uh, got Cesar Elizondo back into the starting 11 here, and that was really good to see. He had a couple chances where it was very, very close to going in. One in particular, I believe, went off of the post and just bounced the wrong way. It, it I want to say it hit the inside of the post, it looked like, on the broadcast. And just the physics-defying bad luck that this team has had in finishing sent the ball away from the net and uh, out harmlessly for Salt Lake City. But obviously, all's well that ends well with those two goals at the end of the game. Um, kind of a, speaking of the, the starting 11 here, it was interesting to see officially a 4-4-2 with Cesar Elizondo and Omar Gordon as the forwards. Um, I've said, not last week, we were off last week, but I said two weeks ago that Omar Gordon has really impressed me and his, his touch is just insane. He was embarrassing kids in Vancouver and he had some really good plays against Salt Lake City as well, which is a much stronger opponent. And so I really think Gordon might be the pickup of the season for San Antonio of the mid season for San Antonio. Um, if he can keep up this pace of play, I think he could really contribute to this team. Looking Looking at the rest of it, it was 
pretty expected. You had Pekka and Michael Reed starting in the central midfield, and then Tierpak and Forbes on the wings. And then the usual back four with McCarthy and Ibiaga in the central, and uh, Noonan on the right and Cochran on the left. Looking at um, how the team was actually deployed, looking at the average positions, it pretty much stayed in that formation as far as the starting 11 is concerned. Reed kind of pushed up and played the 10 a little bit while Pekka played more of a defensive role. But other than that, they really kept that 4-4-2 shape for the most part, which was pretty interesting. Um, it's something that we really haven't seen from San Antonio FC, and I have a hard time believing that that's a coincidence, that we would see something brand new and totally unexpected against um, you know the, the only team that was above San Antonio at the time. Unfortunately, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, unfortunately, San Antonio, even with that win, is uh, now in third place on the table as we record this Thursday night. But obviously lots of time left uh, and lots of things can change. Um, Going through the game a little bit further, this was another one where the officials got to know San Antonio FC really well. We saw four yellow cards come out. One for Ibiaga, Tierpak, Pekka, and Elizondo each. One each for those four players. And unfortunately, that is going to force a couple of um, absences for the next game in Los Dos. Um, One thing I will say, though, is that if you're going to be suspended for a game, being suspended against Los Dos in a week where you have two games is pretty okay. <laughs> it's it's about as good as it gets as far as suspensions go. Um, but uh, officially, Cesar Elizondo, Sebastian Abiaga, and Chris Tierpak will not be eligible against Los Dos. Again, I don't know that Tierpak or Elizondo would have played for that anyway, just resting those guys who ha- have had histories with injury. Um <sighs> This is kind of a best-case scenario, if if we're being honest. Maybe that's too much of a spin on it. I guess you don't ever want to be suspended. But this gives them a little bit of leeway before their next yellow card accumulation suspension. And again, as we've said before, those accumulations do get reset at the end of the regular season. So if they can hold out for the rest of the regular season without accumulating three more cards and hitting that uh, eight card suspension, then, um, you know, pretty solid. So... Let's go back to the game specifically. Um, Salt Lake City did go up early in the second half in the 55th minute. Saucedo banked one in, and honestly, I thought that may have been it. This this Salt Lake City team is extremely difficult to score against, especially late in the game. This is a team that has been able to successfully bunker down and, and prevent their opponents from scoring late all season. And a a team like San Antonio FC, where you're a counterattack team, that doesn't play to their strengths when when the opponent is bunkering down and playing a very defensive game. So I thought that may have been the end of it there. One thing that we've said time and time again, is that this team has been having issues with set pieces. Um, they, they're just not able to get that touch on set pieces. And 
Um, you know, of course, in the game against the top team in the West, top team in the league, you get two goals off of set pieces. <laughs> the uh, the first one um, may have touched Mike's set. It was hard to tell on broadcast, but it was officially credited as an own goal uh, in the 88th minute where um, Michael Reed delivered a ball into the box and uh, Taylor P.A., uh, officially was credited with the own goal, but it looked like Mike Seth may have gotten his head on it. I know the club was trying to protest that to, to get it credited to Seth, but looking again Thursday night at the official Opta stats, it looks like it's still credited as an own goal. So I don't think Seth is going to get that credit. Um, and then the game winner came off of McCarthy's head, again from the foot of Michael Reed. This one was a shocking lapse on Salt Lake City's part. Uh, going back and looking at the replay over and over again, I just don't understand how they let one of the biggest players on the field get a wide-open look at the frame. It, it was comical how poorly that was defended and how perfectly that was placed by Reed, and of course a great finish from McCarthy. He put it exactly where it needed to be. Um, it was shocking to everyone, I think. Uh, the players on the field, the fans watching, it was a terrible lapse of defense on Salt Lake City's part, but in full credit to Reed and to uh, McCarthy, it was an extremely well-played ball. It got exactly where it needed to be, and it gave them the extra two points. It gave them the three points on the road. So that, um, at least for a little while, will put my this team can't score on set pieces rants to rest because they did get two goals off of set pieces in the hardest place to play in the West. So that was great. Um, one thing that I will say, though, is there is a streak that is still going on, shockingly, um, where San Antonio center forward, San Antonio strikers just cannot find their finishing touch. Um, it has been since July 1st in a match against Sacramento that this team has had a center forward score a goal. And before that, I believe the last one was in April, um, maybe early May. <clears throat> I'll have to look that up. But the last time a center forward has been credited with a goal for San Antonio FC was uh, July 1st, AJ Ajiqua against a uh, Sacramento team that um, has some questions this year too. But sticking with San Antonio, that's a streak that you have to break. Obviously, Mike Seth was extremely close to breaking that, may have broken it, but officially it's still a streak that's going on. And obviously that's something that the team wants to change and needs to change going forward as, as they gear up for playoffs. But that's something to keep an eye on. So finishing up with the Salt Lake City match, a couple really big highlights for me. Um, obviously, Gordon playing well again, getting the start and playing well against a tougher opponent than Vancouver was extremely... Um, promising, extremely encouraging to see because that means it's not just a one-game fluke where he was, you know, beating up on some teenagers. This was a legitimate team, and he played really well. Um, another 
two uh, two new guys that got some time. Mike Seth, of course, like we talked about, he he did his best. He played well. He was in the right spot. He just didn't get the credit for it. Uh, and then Ever Guzman made his debut. And while he didn't make any contributions on the stat sheet, he looked good. And he looked like he's someone who's going to find a place in this team pretty well. Um, we may get to see him for a more extended time with tier pack suspended for this lost dose game. And, you know, with two games in a week, you always see more rotation. So I'm really optimistic about the new guys that were brought in. It looks like all four of them are, are going to work out really well. The fourth one, of course, being Connor Presley, who we didn't see against Salt Lake, but he did make the 18 and made the trip out there, which is encouraging. I mean, it shows the trust that Coach Powell already has in this player to give him a seat on the plane out there. That's that's something that I think speaks volumes and speaks to the quality of this player who is available midseason. It's really been shocking both years of San Antonio FC's existence, the quality of players that they've been able to grab in the middle of the season. Um, Ever Guzman, Connor Presley and um, Omar Gordon were all available um, without any sort of transfer fees, as, as far as I know. Uh, of course, Omar Gordon is on loan, so that doesn't count. But um, And then Mike Seth came over from Phoenix, where the striker position just kind of got too crowded with Didier Drogba and some of those other guys. So it's really incredible. Of course, last year, the two big midseason signings were uh, Cesar Elizondo and um, Frank Tayu, who contributed massively to that team's finish of the season, where they finished much stronger than they began. And a lot of that had to do with Tayu and Elizondo. So it's great stuff to, to see the front office finding these guys and bringing them in in the middle of the season. It's Got to be encouraging as a fan to see a front office and a scouting crew that um, you know is actively looking for this and has the connections to make it happen to where they can kind of reload in the middle of the season. Um, we will talk about the two players who departed a little bit later, and we'll, we'll kind of talk more generally about the roster a little bit later. But first, I want to look ahead to the games that San Antonio has coming up. Um, Because the first one is going to be against LA Galaxy 2, Los Dos, um, in LA. San Antonio has done a really good job this year of being able to group road matches together. Um, They did that entire Cascadia road trip in one swoop at the beginning of the season. This time they're going to Southern California, which, you know, there are definitely worse places to be than that. Um, So Saturday at 9.30 p.m. our time, um, San Antonio will be playing in the StubHub Center. Um, It's listed as the track stadium. Uh, Sometimes they've had games, many times they've had games in the MLS Stadium, which is also the home of the NFL's San Diego Chargers. So um, I haven't looked at the Chargers schedule to see if they're home, but uh, you know, if they're playing a home game on Sunday, then I would guess this would probably be in the track stadium uh, because there are probably goalposts at the end of the main stadium. <laughs> um, man, what, 
what a mess that is. But this is not an NFL podcast, so I will do my best to keep away from that. Looking at Los Dos as a whole, they are not a good team this year, um, unfortunately for them. They currently, as of um, Thursday night, sit in 13th in the West, um, just above Portland and Vancouver. They uh, have 25 points on the season with a negative 24 goal differential, only seven wins on the season, um, two of which came in their last five. But uh, And one of those, the more recent one, was a 1-0 victory over RGV. So, you know, rivalry watch there a little bit. But this is a team that is a victim of its MLS side right now. Their their MLS team is going through a transition where they've had to bring in um, you know, some big changes to the MLS club, which are trickling down to the USL club as well. There was a point earlier this season where they were defeated 9-0 to by Reno. And looking at their roster, it's almost entirely made up of academy kids and teenagers. And that was because the quality USL players that they had were pulled up to their first team to cover for injuries and all sorts of issues that were going on there. So this is one of those times where the MLS two model in the USL league is not a great thing for quality of play, but you can never sleep on any of these opponents because in Los Dos's most recent game, they went down two to one against that same Reno team um, before that, they beat RGV 1-0. They lost to Vancouver, but again, that was close. Um, they they really are not getting blown out other than that Reno game. All of the other matches have been fairly close um, for the last few weeks. Earlier in the season, San Antonio and Los Dos played on April 1st at Toyota Field, and San Antonio came away with a 3-0 victory. Um there were a couple other 4-0 victories, 3-0 victories for teams playing Lost Dose. But in the recent weeks, they've really kept games close. So this is going to be a team that you have to really keep an eye out on and not take too lightly. And I don't want to say you can settle for a point against the 13th ranked team in the West, but it's not the worst thing in the world. So obviously San Antonio is going to be looking for the win, but um, you know, don't don't sleep on Los Dos just because they are super far down the table. They could definitely pull out an upset here against San Antonio. And looking ahead to a little later in the road trip, um, they will be visiting Orange County SC, which is uh, LAFC's MLS two side. Uh, LAFC, of course, coming into MLS next year. And they announced, LAFC announced their first ever player signing was Carlos Alvarez, formerly of San Antonio FC, San Antonio FC's first player signing. So little LASA connection there with Carlos Alvarez being the first player for both clubs. Um, Alvarez was out with an injury earlier in the year when these two clubs met. However, he did play against Phoenix last week, so there's a solid chance that he could be playing against his former club on Wednesday the 13th. Um, again, that's going to be at 9.30 p.m. These games, Orange County's new games, are at a new stadium. Um, they are no longer at Anteater Stadium with the, the bounce house off to the side and 
you know, just the, it's always good that there are clubs in a league, but seeing Orange County Blues transition to Orange County SC is a good thing for for USL and for the quality of the league. Um, it's, you know, a much better situation for that uh, club, for those fans, and for the visiting team as well. So San Antonio will take Orange County on on Wednesday. They, as of Thursday night, stand 10th in the West with 30 points uh, and a negative four goal differential, seven wins on the season as well, same as lost dose. Um, just for reference, San Antonio FC currently sits third in the West with 48 points, a positive 19 goal differential, and 13 victories on the year through 24 games played. So obviously there's a, a pretty sizable gap, an 18-point gap between Orange County and San Antonio FC right now. Um Again, this is a team that you can't sleep on. It should be a victory for San Antonio, um, but stranger things have happened, right? So I, I am so worried about San Antonio FC's finishing touch lately. They just have not been able to... It's You hate to say it's bad luck. That makes it sound like... You know, there's no skill involved, but there are times where it really is just bad luck. A ball takes a bounce the opposite way and it's a goal or, you know, it it goes off one defender's leg instead of the other and it it comes back, you know, just little things that have not gone in San Antonio's way. Um, You know, hopefully those are getting to be turned around and hopefully the new guys will um, interject whatever magic into the roster is needed there. Um, but you know, they, they're going to have to score in these games. Orange County and San Antonio played on August 5th in Toyota field and it was a one, one draw. So you really hope that you're not drawing against these teams, but it's absolutely possible. And just talking in broader terms, Really the goal for San Antonio FC, they haven't said this officially, this is just my assumption, of course, the goal is to get a top four slot. Once you're in the top four, you guarantee yourself a home playoff game. That's about as good as you can get. Obviously, you want to go as far as long as you can without playing Salt Lake or Reno, some of these other really tough teams, but there isn't a huge difference between second and fourth when it comes to going to the playoffs. If you're not going to get first, which it's possible for San Antonio to get first, but it's going to be extremely difficult. Um, they they really need some help from Salt Lake to, to make that happen. But if you're not going to get first in the West, then really a top four finish is a victory, and you just have to be ready for those playoff games. So looking at the table, Salt Lake City is in first 55 points through 25 games played. Just an insane amount of points for this team. Best team in USL right now uh, as far as the standings go. Second place is a little bit of a surprise with Reno 1868 having a big time push over the last few weeks. They have gone several weeks undefeated. Let's see what the exact number is it's at least five um they've had five victories in a row so let's see one two three four five six victories in a row 
Um, and then previous to that, they lost to Orange County, but then go one, two, three, four, five, six games undefeated. So this is a very good team, Reno 1868. They have Dane Kelly. They have several scores that are extremely dangerous, very potent attack. Um, that is is probably going to stay competitive for the rest of the season. So San Antonio is not at all a lock for that second place slot anymore. They have to perform against these two LA these two Southern California teams uh, in order to stay in contention there for second place. <clears throat> so first place Salt Lake City 55 points second Reno 1868 with 48 points 25 games played San Antonio FC also has 48 points but has only played 24 games so that's a positive if you're SAFC um, looking at fourth place Swope Park Rangers 45 points fifth place Tulsa with 40 sixth place Sacramento with 36 seventh Colorado Springs with 34. Phoenix rounds out the top eight with 34 points as well. Uh, Oklahoma City is knocking on the door in ninth with 33 points. And Orange County and Seattle are still in the playoff hunt. Um, RGV technically is, but it's a much tougher road for them. They absolutely do not control their own destiny. Um, one of the many hats I wear is that I'm an editor for IndomitableCitySoccer.com, which is technically a Sacramento fan site. It's uh, part of the SB Nation community there. But one thing that the writers over there do extremely well is playoff projections, um, ELO scoring, a lot of data-driven pieces, which... I love reading, <laughs> even even when I'm editing it. I, I love just reading the information that those guys get together. So if you haven't checked it out already, IndomitableCitySoccer.com. Highly recommend checking that out because there is a battle to get into the playoffs in the Western Conference and in the East too, of course. But um, there's, there's a lot of interesting things going on in the mid-table of both conferences, but in particular the West. So... San Antonio FC is still very highly ranked, but they have to get it done against the Southern California teams this week. You you can't hate on a draw too much, but it's not going to keep you in contention for second place with Reno's attack being as on fire as they are. So going to take a short break here. When we come back, we will have a little audio from last week that I would have put in last week's podcast had we done a podcast last week. Um, but the first clip is from Connor Presley talking about joining the team. And uh, the second one is from Mike Seth. Very similar line of questioning, just kind of getting the feel for how those guys are doing. It was actually, like I said, last week, right before the Salt Lake game. And it was after one of the training sessions. So there is a little bit of wind in the background, unfortunately. Um, but if, uh, if you can handle the slight lack of quality, it is good to hear those guys. And it was fun catching up with them and fun getting to meet them a little bit. Um, so, and then after that, we'll talk big, big, big news for NASL, for soccer in the United States, and of course, USL expansion and your Twitter comments, topics, questions, all that stuff. So thank you so much for listening. We'll be right back. Okay. 
So joining the team halfway through the season, can you kind of talk about what that experience has been like jumping in here? It's been it's been good. I uh, took a, a few weeks to get kind of integrated with everybody, but you know now I've gotten to know everybody and I'm used to the uh, the style of play and I'm I'm feeling good. You made your home debut last week against Vancouver. Can you kind of talk about what that was like playing in front of the fans? It was awesome. You know, <laughs> to step on the field with all the fans supporting you there and just uh, then to go out and get a win. You know, it was good. Inches away from getting a goal there. Can you talk about that? What was going on through you? Yeah, I was, it was it was close, but I was I thought it went in and then it just went right by the post. But it's uh, on to the next one. You know, keep working, keep moving forward. And you've got Salt Lake City coming up this weekend. Can you kind of talk about what that's like uh, getting ready to face the only team above you guys on the table? It's good. It's it's a big game. You know, I think everybody's excited to go out and play against them in their home and you know put in a performance. Being one of the younger guys on the roster here, have you, um, you know, kind of found a place with some of the other younger guys, some of the older guys, kind yeah. of a good mix? How, how does that work out for you? It's good I, in the in the locker room. You know, I get along with everybody now. I kind of joke around, and I, I get along with a lot of the younger guys and also some of the older guys. So it's it's good. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so going. Um, into the rest of the season and hopefully looking towards the playoffs. Um, can you kind of talk about what having a home field advantage might mean to you, getting one of those top four slots? You know, it's uh, having a home field advantage is great because, you know, our fans are there. We're at 8,000 supporting us all there, you know. They're behind us like a 12th man, you know. So other teams might come in kind of intimidated because they're not used to playing in front of such a big crowd. Sure. So. Thanks, so right, Appreciate thanks. it. So joining the team halfway through the season, can you kind of talk about what that's like, kind of shifting gears coming to San Antonio? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a little bit of an adjustment, especially for uh, my family, but um, it's a great group of guys, and, you know, they made it uh, the transition really easy, um, I mean, with the club and all the players. And you've been here for a couple weeks. Can you kind of talk about how that fit has been and how your experience has been so far? Yeah, it's been a great experience. Um, just trying to, you know, fit in um, wherever that may be within the within the lineup, and um, you know, just keep things rolling. Made your home debut uh, last week against Vancouver. Can you kind of talk about what that was like playing at Toyota Field? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a great experience. Um, it's a great environment, great fans, and you know, um, it's it's good to get a great result at home and. You know, just try and finish out the season as strong as possible heading into this playoff push. And obviously you have Salt Lake City coming up this weekend, the only team above you guys on the table right now. Is there any extra pressure there? Um, I mean, no more than any other game. I mean, you have to approach it like that. But, I mean, they're they're a good team, and, you know, we're, we're up there with them. So um, it'll be a great test and, you know, just try and, like I said, finish out the season as strong as possible. back thank you so much for listening thank you in particular to our patreon patrons uh who have helped support the podcast financially all year i really really appreciate that um obviously if you haven't already gotten your email if you're a patreon patron we won't be charging for um this past month because um you know we we just didn't deliver a ton of content so don't feel like that was fair and I encourage people to um, contribute to charity to help with the hurricane relief, uh, whatever you would have spent on us. So I hope you were able to do that, and I hope that 
you know, no one was affected too much by the hurricane that, that's listening to this and all that kind of stuff. Obviously, our, our thoughts and prayers have been and continue to be with the folks in Houston and Corpus and Rockport and uh, all along the Gulf Coast. And now um, eyes are on Florida with um, some of my family out in Florida and friends out in fa- uh, Florida having to just bunker down at this point and uh, hope to ride out Irma if she doesn't take a big turn. So, you know, crazy weather going on right now and hopefully uh, hopefully nothing too too horrible and we're able to um, get back to, to regular life before too long. But um, anyway, going, going back into soccer, um, we had... A lot of news this week come out of the uh, national level, and then we had a couple players released and a player signed to the USL roster. So we'll, we'll go over all of that. I want to start with what I think is the biggest news, is that uh, NASL was officially denied Division Two sanctioning for next season. That is a huge deal. Um, the Federation, the United States Soccer Federation, officially denied, declined um, the NASL's application for Division Two status. And it may prove to be the nail in the coffin of this league, if we're being honest. Um, it, from some of the reports that we're seeing, it's not too unexpected that the decision came out. They some reports are saying that the uh, announcement was expected to be in late August to mid-September. So if that's true, then the timeline fits on what the owners in NASL should have expected. However, uh, New York Cosmos, uh, the the ever-vocal New York Cosmos, their chairman, Rocco Camiso, put out a all caps statement on social media the other day, not the other day, uh, earlier today on uh, September 7th on Thursday. Uh, Basically, you can read it on Twitter, you can read it all over the place, but the gist of it is that he made it sound like he thought that he would have more time. He took over this club and did some positive things for it. The Cosmos attendance is up. They're playing in a better field, everything else. But um, in his statement, he made it sound like he um, would have had more time to help turn around the league, to help turn around the, the club. And, you know, if that's true, if he, if those expectations weren't set to him like that, I feel for him because he's probably lost hundreds of thousands of dollars at this point, um, which is a lot of money. Um, he he invested millions, and there's a good chance that he's not going to see that back if NASL and if the Cosmos drop to Division Two. So, what that means for NASL is that they are not going to be able to build themselves as the league right under MLS. They're not going to be able to build themselves as almost the prime time feature. Uh, they are probably going to end up being division three, which wouldn't be so bad if you didn't have USL at the same level as them, if not surpassing them. And we'll talk about USL in a second, but from an NASL standpoint, this is going to hurt them financially and it's going to hurt the potential owners and the current owners 
with how much they're able to invest in the club, how much they're going to be able to get back from the club. And I think we're very likely going to see more NASL teams try to jump over to USL uh, via the Tampa Bay Rowdies and uh, the Ottawa team. And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. I talked a lot of garbage about Rio OKC and how poorly that club was managed and how it was ridiculous for them to come in and compete in Oklahoma City last year. But, um, you know, it was decisions like that that have gotten them, have gotten NASL into this situation. Uh, they can blame promotion relegation if they want. They can blame, um, you know, MLS or Monopoly or whatever. But at the end of the day, they didn't handle their business very well when it came to the bottom line. And unfortunately, that's showing now in their sanctioning if they're going to drop down to D3. Um, currently it's, uh, you know, this is from, um, 55.1, uh, currently it is not clear why USSF has rejected the NASL's application. Um, but, and then they talk about how the NASL has lost several teams and, and struggled to keep their footprint in North American soccer. Um, last year they lost Minnesota United to MLS they lost Tampa Bay and Ottawa to uh, USL, and then they lost Rio OKC and Fort Lauderdale to um, going under for to folding. So it's it's really hard to justify that this league deserves Division Two sanctioning and this club deserves support based on merit because they can't keep teams up and San Francisco Deltas came in and earlier their owner put out a blog post basically saying, Hey, if you fans don't come, we're not going to be able to do this anymore. And it's just not a good look for, for NASL as a whole. Um, so I hate to see an entire league go under. I hate to see these teams go under. I hope what will end up happening is we end up with a more cohesive pyramid and that this is the end of, hashtag soccer wars for a little while, but we just won't know until the 2017 season kind of shakes out. I would expect to see teams like Indianapolis, the Indy 11, um, come over. I, I would like to see the Cosmos come over to USL, but I don't think they ever would just with how antagonistic that league is, or sorry, that team is. But, um, you know, the, the remaining viable NASL teams, I think, have a good chance at coming to USL and, and being successful, especially in a league that's looking to expand. The big question, though, is with NASL losing their Division II sanctioning, is USL going to lose their Division II sanctioning? And just personal opinion, I don't think so. I, I would be shocked if... USSF decided to just not have a second division and send both of these leagues back into third division status. Um, but it's possible. I mean, the the big knock against USL is their MLS2 teams. A lot of them are playing in, they were playing in substandard stadiums, and now they're playing in MLS stadiums that they have no chance at filling. 
especially when some teams are only drawing in the hundreds. So it's really hard to justify those MLS two teams as being deserving of a division two sanctioning. Um, but when you look at, you know, Salt Lake that's tearing up the league right now and some of these other teams, it, it's hard to keep them down. Right. And are you really going to let a couple of MLS two teams ruin what you have going with USL where they have all of this forward momentum and they're looking to expand and they're, you know, doing all this positive stuff for the game. Are you going to compromise all of that because they have a few teams that are drawing pretty low? I, I don't think so, especially with their ties to MLS and how they've kind of played within the rules uh, of the political game. They've, they've been a lot less negative than uh, NASL has. So I I don't see USL dropping down to third division. I would be pretty surprised if that's how it worked out. But, you know, stranger things have happened, and we won't find out until we find out. So I would expect that announcement soon. If they have the NASL announcement, you would think they would have the USL announcement as well. But we just don't know. So we'll keep an eye out on that, and we'll let you know when we know anything. But speaking of USL expansion, some good news there for uh, Texas fans. It looks like USL is going to be moving into El Paso. Um, There are reports coming out from the, uh, let's see, what website is this? El Paso Inc. uh, INC that uh, soccer stadium progresses. USL says it's, quote, looking closely at El Paso. And it goes on to quote a ownership group who also own the Chihuahuas baseball team, which is absolutely the best minor league franchise in the country, the El Paso Chihuahuas. It's hilarious, and it's amazing. Um, so those, those folks are looking to bring a USL team to El Paso. And there's some quotes in this article that um, it's a from Nicholas Murray, who's a spokesperson for USL, Um, says, quote, the USL is looking closely at El Paso, Texas as a new home for future Division II franchise, Murray said in an email statement. Quote, we are pleased to see the hard work that's been put by the Hunt and Foster families, along with a management team led by Alan Ledford of Mountain Star Sports Group. So it really looks like this is going to happen. If the league's on board and there is a quality ownership group, um, I don't see why it wouldn't happen. It, it looks like right now the big hangup is where the stadium is going to be. looks like they're trying to purchase a piece of land that's uh, a little a little bit of, of a hot property at the moment. But with all the land in El Paso, you would think that a stadium can get done. It's just a matter of where. And obviously El Paso is not going to be a massive let's all go take a trip to the Derby rivalry. It's what, like a 10 hour drive from San Antonio. It's, it's all the way across the state pretty much, but it's still great for the league and it's great for Texas and it's great for El Paso. Um, my wife is from El Paso. I've got family in El Paso and, uh, it's a great city that has a lot of really cool things going for it. There's a lot of revitalization going in different areas right now that, is making it a really fun city and making it to where millennials and young professionals are wanting to stick around 
and um, stay in El Paso. And this is just one more thing to give the entertainment side of that uh, credit. So I think it's a great addition. And we I've heard reports um, from some pretty reliable folks that another Texas team is coming to USL. Um, it, it sure looks like it's going to be El Paso. I would be pretty shocked if it was anywhere else. So I'm excited and I hope it works out. And, you know, maybe when we're out there visiting family, I'll go catch a game in El Paso too. So there's, there's a possibility that in the next few years, we could have teams, USL teams in El Paso, RGV, San Antonio, Austin, and then, you know, potentially a Dallas MLS two team, maybe never know. (laughs) It's, it's definitely possible. So, I love it. The more USL teams that are in Texas, the less they all have to travel as far as distance-wise. So you can't complain about that. The other side of this is the ownership group being a minor league franchise-owning group. They're not pushing for MLS. They're not having these you know, unrealistic expectations. It seems like they genuinely want to have a second division soccer club in El Paso, which I think is a phenomenal fit. So I I think it's good. I think the only hangup would be, um, you know, being right there along the border with Juarez. If, you know, you're trying to win fans over on the same day as other matches that are happening just across the border, that could be a tough sell. But if you're, if you're looking for just kind of a fun, close, easily accessible thing to do for two hours on a Saturday, this is perfect. And, you know, maybe that'll be the the marketing strategy that they take with this as opposed to, you know, this is the best soccer in the area because it, it won't be, but it, it, has the potential to be really fun and be a great addition to USL. So I'm excited for hashtag USL to El Paso, even if we may or may not make it out to that stadium. That's a little bit of a trip, but hey, it's it's Texas and it's good. So the other piece of news that I wanted to talk about tonight before we call it a night was that San Antonio FC did have a couple of roster moves this week. Uh, AJ Ajiqua and Sean Chin have both agreed to part ways with the club. Uh, It uh, came as a little bit of a surprise, but really when you look at this roster and how it's constructed and the players that were brought in in the midseason reload here, it can't be too much of a shocker to see these guys go Um, with AJ Ajiqua in particular, he was a player who um, got a lot of opportunity with the club. And unfortunately, like I talked about earlier, just a game of inches where he could have been the club's leading goal scorer had just a couple things bounced his direction. And unfortunately, they just didn't. So he, um, you know wasn't able to capitalize, wasn't able to lock down that striker role before Mike Seth and Ever Guzman and, and all these other guys got brought in and Cesar Elizondo got back to health and everything else. But um, AJ made 15 starts. He played in, or sorry, he made 12 starts. He played in 15 games, uh, 985 minutes played, and he had um, 
three goals scored on the season. So he contributed, and he was fun to watch. He was a high-energy player that really booked it down the field constantly, but it just didn't work out. So um, he's going to be looking for another club. Sean Chin also left. He was the bigger surprise to me because Sean Chin is a very versatile player in the uh, positions that he can play. And, of course, he's been here since the start. He was one of the first players signed last year when the club was forming. So it was a little bit of a surprise to see Chin go. Um, This year, he started four games, played in 15 games, um, did not score any goals this year. But he was a player who you could plug in pretty much anywhere. We saw him play as a striker. We saw him play on the wing as a right back when needed. So... I'm kind of bummed to see him go also, um, but you know it, it is what it is. He played 436 minutes this year, and uh, you know he's he's going to be missed from the fan base, I'm sure. Um, but that's just kind of soccer, and and that's you know the name of the game when when you're not able to score, when you're not able to lock down your spot on this roster then you leave yourself open to being replaced. And, and it looks like that's what happened with the signings of Gordon and Seth and Guzman and Presley and, of course, Elizondo getting back to health. Um, it's a, a pretty congested roster. Um, one addition we did see to the roster was a somewhat familiar face. Um, Andrew Kendall Moyne was signed to the USL roster, Uh, He made one appearance with San Antonio FC this year in their first U.S. Open Cup match. He is a defender. He will wear the number two shirt. Um, And and there's not a ton to say about him yet. He's 22 years old, 6'1", 181 pounds, has not made a USL appearance with San Antonio FC yet. So don't have a ton to say about him at the moment, but... um, you know, probably a depth signing just in case something happened with uh, Noonan or Cochran, you know, just adding to that fullback depth. But yeah, the, the roster sits at 24 now with the new additions and with the two departures. So it'll be interesting to see if we see Zachary Haravo make an appearance with San Antonio FC again this year. He did make enough regular season appearances to already be eligible to play for San Antonio FC in the playoffs, in the USL playoffs. So that's cool. Obviously, he's with his home club of New England Revolution right now in MLS. Um, But if he joins SAFC on loan again, I think that could be very beneficial. Um, The other player that's been missing from the 18 lately, Devin Vega. Um, We saw him make some appearances earlier, and he has been missing for the last couple weeks. So it'll be interesting to see how he's deployed if he um, you know, is being used more tactically for different matches or if he has become more of a bench player and more of a, a reserve player there for some of the other guys. It'll, it'll be interesting to, to keep an eye on that because obviously his big story was being a San Antonio native and coming from an MLS academy, but... Again, sports is very much, what have you done for me lately? And if he's not performing to the level of some of these other guys, then his narrative isn't going to matter because the only narrative that matters is winning and and making the playoffs and going as far as you can in the playoffs. So be interesting to watch that. 
Um, but other than that, I don't expect too many big roster moves for the rest of the year. Um, Matt Cardoni was training last week um, in some very, very small recovery type workouts that we saw. Um, last I saw, he he still had not rejoined the team in regular training. It was just kind of rehab work with um, the goalkeeping coach, Juan La Madrid. And, um, you know, I, I don't know that we'll see Cardoni again this season, especially with how Restrepo's been playing. And, and Lee Johnston proved that he's a very capable number two. So I don't know that there's a reason to risk Cardoni's health if you know, this is a prolonged injury. Maybe it's better for him to get rest and to come back full health next year. Um, we'll see. Obviously, this that's one position that can change in an instant, as we've seen all through San Antonio FC's existence. So we'll keep an eye out on that. Other than that, um, the only other lingering injury, it looks like, was um, Rafa Castillo, who took... A big hit to the face against, uh, who was it, Colorado a couple weeks ago. Um, He still has not returned to game action, so we'll keep an eye out on Saturday to see if he's listed on the injury report or not. So going over to Twitter, we have a few comments and a couple questions. Um, If you ever want to submit a topic for the podcast, feel free to reach out on Twitter at News. Um, love talking about what you want to talk about. That makes everything easier and more enjoyable for everyone. So um, let's start here with Royce. He says, Mike Seth equals grown ass man. That goal celebration yell was awesome. First to celebrate with him off the bench was Billy and Chris. Great to see. I agree. Um, One thing that this team has stressed that uh, Darren Powell, Tim Holt, everyone I've talked to have stressed is that if you're not a team player, if you're not a person that's able to work well with other people, you're not going to be part of Spurs Sports and Entertainment. Um, they are very clear that um, you know if you're not a good person, they're not interested in having you on the roster. So it's always cool to see these guys celebrating together and you know enjoying enjoying each other's success. Um, Aaron Reet says, how happy are you that we aren't in the NASL and F the Cosmos? Um, very, very happy. Obviously San Antonio Scorpions were in the NASL and I, I remember making an argument at one time that NASL was the better league to be in than MLS and that it didn't make sense financially and all this. And Boy, that has uh, really changed in the past couple of years, if it was ever true. I don't know that it was. But um, yeah, very happy to be in USL, not NASL, for San Antonio's soccer market. Um, F the Cosmos, as f- I, I won't say F the Cosmos. I'll say F the Cosmos's attitude over the last few years. I'm hoping that the fact that they're about to end up homeless um, might initiate some change in the way they interact with the rest of the soccer landscape because it is a very old franchise and it's a independent team in New York that's trying to not play in a baseball stadium um, and trying to actually play in New York, not New Jersey. So you have to love that. Um, or where, where did NYCFC move their game? Was it Connecticut? That Yeah, I... I hope the Cosmos come to USL and chill out and it, we can all laugh about it in a couple of years, but I, I'm not sure that I see that happening. 
Uh, I'm guessing a three in the back when we're down late is the new Darren Powell tactic. Justifies releasing Chin. I hate the move, but I get it, says Royce. Uh, the three in the back has been really interesting, and it's really successful. Ryan Rashindle has um, really proven that he can be a versatile player and come in and play as a third central defender, allowing Greg Cochran to move up the field more because we've seen Cochran play as a left mid, as a winger, and the guy has wheels. I mean, it's really interesting to see that deployed. I think Cyprian Hedrick could also fill that role, so... When you have several central backs who can play the position at a high level, why not use them, right? Uh, so why not switch between that 4-4-2, the 4-2-3-1, and the 3-4-3, basically? Um, I love it, and it's great, and it's versatile, and it's only going to help going forward. Um, Joe writes in, pros, cons of roster changes. Um, the pros are that <clears throat> the biggest issue that this team has had has been with scoring. Um, That's the hardest thing to do in soccer is to score, right? And so I would say one of the major pros of these roster changes is that the guys they've brought in are goal scorers. Omar Gordon, Ever Guzman, Mike Seth, they should be able to score goals for this team. There is zero reason why they shouldn't be able to score goals um, with the talent they have paired with the talent around them. Um, I don't know why they wouldn't be able to. Connor Presley, we'll see what he has in him. He looked good in the minutes that we've seen him. He looks like he's going to be more of a midfielder, but um, I think he has the potential to be someone who could stick around for a few years and really grow in this club. And he's only 19, I believe. Let me check here. He's either 18 or 19. So a very young player. Yeah, 19 years old. Um, Born on the 4th of July. How about that? Mark, so he's he's only 19. He's a player that could really grow in the system and learn from players like Rafa, like Reed, like Ibiaga. Um, Elizondo is getting to to be that veteran experience as well. So it's really interesting to see the four guys that were brought in there. Um, and then of course Andrew Moyne, we'll see. Again, just don't have a lot to judge on there, but he was competent in the U.S. Open Cup game, so um, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with bringing in depth in a shallow position for the club. Um, I don't, I don't like to say that there's any pros to AJ or Sean Chin leaving the team. It doesn't really help the team to have them leave. I don't think, um, but it does help them because now they have the potential to find another club where they will get more minutes and be able to contribute a little more regularly. So I would say that's the pro there. Um, man, I, I'm really I'm bummed that we're not going to see them play for San Antonio anymore. They were pretty entertaining to watch. Um, the cons, I would say that. <laughs> I would say that we lost two entertaining players, even if they couldn't find their finishing touch this year. Um the other negatives of these roster additions, um, I I would just have to say why they're available, I guess. Um, Mike Seth, he hasn't gotten a lot of playing time this year, so he's going to have to... Same with Ever Guzman. They're both kind of in their preseason still, or just towards the end of their modified preseason, where they're still getting into game fitness and match fitness. So... 
I'm sure by the time playoffs roll around, they'll be 100% ready to go, everything else, but that's a concern. Um, with Gordon, um, I, I would say that a, a negative that is only on loan, he's not an official transfer, so that's kind of a bummer that we could potentially lose him at the end of the year if there's not an agreement in place because um, he's been really fun to watch and has been extremely dangerous on the attack. So he's someone that I'd love to see come back next year if he keeps up this pace. Um, but And I guess the only other negative would be from a chemistry standpoint because now you have guys who have the potential to really contribute to this team, but they're going to have to find how they fit in, and that's going to take some time. Um, luckily, they have a few matches here where they uh, are able to tinker with the lineup a little bit. We saw that with Vancouver. I think we would have seen that with Portland had it not get canceled, gotten canceled, um, or postponed, rather. And uh, now you have the two Southern California teams who, on paper, are not particularly good. So you have the potential to play with your roster a little bit there too. Um, so not a ton of negatives. Honestly, I'm nitpicking when I say all that. I think overall it's overwhelmingly positive what San Antonio did in the middle of the season. And I don't know that there's too many players better than these guys that are out there to be had. So it, it's great. It's great all around. And I'm excited to see the last little chunk of the regular season as we go into the the potentially the first playoffs for San Antonio FC. So good stuff, good stuff all around. And, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. If you are on board with these roster changes, if they concern you at all, positives, negatives, feel free to hit that up on Twitter at Pitch Black News. Uh, we'll retweet and, and get the, the word out, get the discussion going. So very curious what everybody thinks about that because I think it's positive, but you know, I'm just one guy. This isn't about me. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see how it all shakes out. Um, so we're going to go ahead and wrap up for the night. Um, again, thank you so, so much for listening. Uh, I never intended for this to be a one-man show. I still don't intend it for it to be a one-man show. Aaron will be back eventually, and we will uh, get back to our regularly scheduled programming here. Um, but music uh, credits can be found in the description of the podcast episode we have a couple different artists that we feature now besides mission complete at the beginning and end of every episode um, and then we also can be reached out on social media at pitch black news at kyle underscore Mankey, or if you want to hit up aaron it's at mls in sa um other than that, thank you so much for listening. We will see you next week. It's like a virus. It's like a